Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 276. Congratulations to Cars Yeah on their one-year anniversary, 276 shows. That's more than Jimmy Fallon did in a year. Good Lord, Mark. Take a break. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Award-winning author and designer Dwight Knowlton has done it again. His book, The Greatest Race, is now available. The Greatest Race is the story of Sir Sterling Moss's epic and record-crushing win of the 1955 Mille Miglia in the Mercedes-Benz 300 SLR. In collaboration with Sir Sterling Moss himself, Dwight has created a wonderful children's book from this epic race as a follow-up to his best-selling book, The Little Red Racing Car. I have my own copy of The Greatest Race, and I can tell you, this kid's impressed. Like his previous book, this one is printed in the USA. Check out Dwight's Carpe Viem brand, where you can find both of his books, shirts, and more that embrace his seize-the-road philosophy. Enjoy Carpe Viem at CarpeGear.com, and be sure to sign up for his newsletter while you're at his website. That's CarpeGear.com, C-A-R-P-E-Gear.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. Today, I am so excited to introduce a very special guest, Spike Ferriston. Spike, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I am uh, wearing shorts, so <laughs> yes. <laughs> I guess you're ready. Being in SoCal, that's about as ready as you can be. I just came out of the gym. I'm loose. I'm ready. All right, let's go. Spike Ferriston is the host of Esquire Network's Car Matchmaker, now entering its second season. Spike calls upon his years as an automotive expert to match the right car with the show's guest. His career as a television comic writer is decades long, and he wrote for Saturday Night Live. He's written for David Letterman, where he earned five Emmy nominations. Spike also wrote for the groundbreaking sitcom Seinfeld, where he became supervising producer and garnered three additional Emmy nominations, one for that famous Soup Nazi episode. He's hosted his own late-night series talk show with Spike Ferriston, and he's also known as, the, as an expert in the automotive world. Spike continues to write and work in television and movies, and he's always looking for that perfect car. Spike, congratulations on your new season at Car Matchmaker. I've told our listeners just a little bit about you. Would you take a moment and share some more about your history, your career, your TV shows, and, of course, your passion for automobiles? Well, you know, uh, the car thing started very early with me. My mom has the little diary that she would put little, uh, do a little writing in, and it says uh, Michael, which is my real name. Spike's a nickname. Mm-hmm. Obsessed with cars, age two. Obsessed with cars, age three. <laughs> it's just on every page. It's very reassuring for me to see that. Yep. And I grew up in a small town in Massachusetts uh, around American muscle cars. And, you know, I spent weekends down at a place called Tech Auto, which doesn't exist anymore. But that's that was the only exotic uh, car dealer that I could ride my bike to. <laughs> Very <laughs> I could cool. Go down there and look at cars and yep. dream about owning them. And, and uh, eventually, I believe the FBI shut them down. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I remember reading in the newspaper, they were welding cars together. Uh-oh. I didn't quite understand at the time what that meant, but front halves and rear halves. Uh-huh. And I, I wasn't quite sure why, you know, in my, you know, eight-year-old brain, like, well, why, why would you 
weld two cars together. Why don't we just keep selling both cars? (laughs) What's the point of that? So that's where it starts. And then I, 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 I'm writing for David Letterman and there's, you know, we all know he's a car guy and owner of a race team and then go off to write for Seinfeld. And, you know, you, you become like the car guy in the office with the car host. Those two guys, especially Letterman and Seinfeld, really turn up the heat on my passion for cars. Oh, absolutely. And I understand you've helped those guys find some pretty cool cars over the years. Not Dave. It's mostly Jerry. You know, when mm-hmm. I go to work for Seinfeld, obviously people are throwing a lot of cars at him and he's kind of helping me into the Porsche thing. And, you know, you just you come across stuff and it gets put under our noses or I'll put something under Jerry's nose. And, you know, occasionally he buys it. Before we get into one of my first questions here, tell me a little bit about how Car Matchmaker came to fruition. Well, Every car guy listening knows that if you're the car guy in your neighborhood, people come to you for advice. And that's who I am and my little group of friends and my wife's friends. And I had had a hand in selling the year before the show. We pitched it. I had a hand in selling about 30 cars, I think. Wow. (laughs) And I really liked it, you know, and I had a lot of success. People were listening and calling me back and going, you know, thank God I called you. And I, you know, I I don't know everything about cars, but I know enough and I've owned enough things to know what the experience is like, as opposed to what the advertisers want you to think the experience is like. So I was having a lot of success and just enjoying it. And, you know, my wife said, you know, that's all great. I'm bragging to her. Look, hey, I sold 30 cars. He's like, yeah, but you're not making any money. (laughs) Yeah. And. Uh, one day I get a phone call from Oprah Winfrey's producer, Ellen Rakuten, who I had given some advice that she did not take. Uh-oh. And she was calling to tell me, you know, you were right. Yeah. And I was wrong. <laughs> the other advice she was getting, by the way, was from Seinfeld. <laughs> she was like, listen to Jerry. I didn't listen to you. And you were right. Oh, cool. <laughs> and I laughed and I said, yeah, I, I know. I, I'm a little better at what you're doing, I think, than he is. He's in a different space. He's in a different world right now. Sure. But she said in that conversation, you know, we should really do a, a car show together. You're, you know, you're kind of like a car matchmaker. And when I heard that phrase, yeah. I went, I think we could sell that show in a, in a minute. Yeah. Because it's sold just in two words. In any good pitch, you can sell in a couple of words. And car matchmaker, I knew would sell. And, yeah. uh, you know, we brought it into Esquire and they, and they and they bought it right in the right in the meeting. So yeah. very exciting. Very cool. I love that. It was a similar thing with uh, Cars Yeah for me. I was trying to come up with a name for the show. And <laughs> my wife one night, I was just, you know, pounding my head. Try to find a domain with the word car that's not taken. Right. Right. You know, no, that's right. And it's one night, she, one night she said, you know, it's Cars Yeah, man. It's Yeah. And I went, yeah, I know. But what? No, it's Yeah. Car. That's it. Go grab it right now. Oh, there you go. So it looks like we married smart women and we followed Mm -hmm. their advice. I think Mm -hmm. that's great. As we continue on your journey, I always like to start by asking my guests for a success quote, a mantra, something in their life that has meaning. It's a really great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars, yeah? So Spike, I know you love to drive. Take the wheel. Is this specifically about cars? It can be about anything about life. You know, this show's a little, it's a lot about cars, a little bit about entrepreneurship. Oh, well, you know, one of the, one of my uh, personal beliefs is there are no rules. Ah. <laughs> it's not really a quote that I've heard or seen, but it's just what I believe about my business, which isn't necessarily the car business. It's a very difficult business, the show business. Yeah. But I apply it in all areas of my life, and I tell my friends and family the same thing. It's like there are no rules. You're not too old. You're not too young. You're not talented enough. You're not enough education. <laughs> there are no rules. There's just passion, and if you follow it and you push hard enough, and you believe in yourself, you'll get what you're going after. That's great. Um, 
And it's, it's, it's been, you know, I've been thinking that way since I was in college and I was studying music and I decided to pivot and go into comedy writing. And I had plenty of friends telling me the reasons why I couldn't do it. The least of all, I wasn't studying it in school, <laughs> but I just, you know, there was something in me that just knew this is where I was supposed to be. Yeah. And as long as I believe that, I will eventually get other people to believe it and then it will work out. And then it did. Yeah. <laughs> so. Oh, absolutely. I love that quote. And you know, you went from studying music, very hard field to be successful in, mm-hmm. to comedy writing, even harder field to be yes. successful in. So, yes. you know, it now you're on television, even harder field to be successful I in. I know. I've been very fortunate and I feel very lucky to get to do that as a job. Well, you're doing a great job and we all appreciate it. Could you share me a story that instigated that passion for cars? Is there a pivotal moment in your life? You talk about your mom writing in your diary as a little kid, but is there a moment when you really knew you were a car guy? Well, yeah. I mean, there are there are little signposts along the way. And, you know, for me personally, it was growing up, the car was less about the car and, and, and what year it was and the value of it. It was, uh, you know, primarily because we couldn't afford anything. My dad just bought me an old car and said, here, you and your brother share this. Yeah. I believe it cost $600. That's how much um, my first car cost. <laughs> yeah, it was a 71 Torino 500. Okay. <laughs> it was, uh, and it didn't matter to me because what it represented was a way to kind of drive away from my house. Yes. <laughs> a way to just go pick up a friend and then go on an adventure. Yep. You know, drive to Boston or go out to or go to the beach in Duxbury, Massachusetts yeah. with my friends. And, you know, I've always been more of a driver than a collector. I've been able to have fun at any price point <laughs> from a few hundred dollars to hundreds of thousands of dollars because it's always just about movement and pretty, pretty scenery and great roads. Yeah, absolutely. What I'd love to do now, Spike, is go down some roads that you've driven down. You've picked a career path that's very challenging. I know there's no rules in this path that you've chosen, but I'd love for you to share a huge challenge or even a great failure that you've faced along the way in your career. And the reason I ask this is not so much about the actual challenge, but how did you overcome it? And even more important, what did you learn from it? You know, one of the most difficult I mean, I've had such great moments in my career and really the, the ones that were most painful, there's only one that was really a very painful year for me. It was 2009. I was hosting my late night show and we had a great thing happening and, and the writers knew it. We were, you know, our videos were going viral on Hulu and we had a lot of momentum. You know, I, I got a great call from David Letterman who was saying, obviously, Fox has picked you to be their guy. It was pr- really exciting. Yeah. And yet a change of executives and getting lost in the shuffle at Fox and not having the support that we needed to move forward got the show canceled. And, and that was a real kick in the stomach and very frustrating. I had a new baby. And my dad was sick with cancer. And, and oh not gosh. long after that, um, my actually, my dad had died, um, I'm sorry, before that. So my dad was sick with cancer. He died. And a month later, my show's canceled. Oh, goodness. So that one-two punch was probably the hardest moment of my life so far. Yeah. And it just, it, it lingered. It was like the whole year just had a shadow over it. And uh, I mean, what I learned from it, was just that's going to happen to you. <laughs> You're going <laughs> to have some tough years, and and my personal mantra at that time was, you know, not being a religious person at all, was just you know sticking to the family for a while. You know, doing dad stuff with my new baby, keeping my head down, 
not getting depressed about it. And just again, there are no rules. Let's move forward. Let's start pitching again. Let's take out new shows. Yeah, it started, you know, selling half hours and writing pilots and eventually, you know, working towards getting myself back on the air. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you sharing that personal story about your father. And I'm sorry for your loss there. The other part of it sounded like that one Seinfeld episode where uh, Jerry and George come in and and they have a new executive producer on the show. And guess what? (laughs) There's no more show. (laughs) So I'm sure that happens a lot in Hollywood. Well, yeah, I mean, television is about you. you we all get canceled. I mean, that yeah. that always happens. But that that show represented such a success for me because here I am, it's just a writer. I've never been on camera talent. The whole world is trying to get their own late night show on Fox, and I did it yeah. with the help of my agent at CAA and you know good producers. And uh, you know, it it was such a personal victory. It was a dream come true moment, and we did it for three seasons. We did it well, and I'm still very, very proud of it. Yeah, you are. You should be. That's awesome. Let's shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share one of those aha moments in your career. I say it's a time when the headlights come on. It kind of illuminates your way for a new direction, a new idea that you had. And tell me the steps you took to turn your aha moment into your success. Well, I mean, the funniest one is when I'm at Berkeley College of Music studying production and engineering, and it's a Saturday night, and we're having a few beers, and we decide to take out all of the uh, three-foot fluorescent light bulbs <laughs> off the floor. I and- think I heard this story about you. <laughs> but that really is the moment. We're throwing them out the window. We get caught. I get kicked out of the dorms, and not long after, I see David Letterman doing tower drops with giant fluorescent light bulbs. Yeah, what gives? Aha. Aha, I had that idea. <laughs> this guy is getting paid by network television to do what I just got kicked out of the dorms for. Yep. I'm still in the school, but kicked out of the dorms. They wouldn't house me. Uh. <laughs> and and that's when, you know, I started getting this, started hearing like uh, uh, network television is possibly the place for me. Mm-hmm. This is silly. They're, they're being mischievous, but they're being funny and inspired. I'd been doing a lot of that in high school, too. And I thought, well... I should just get on that show somehow. <laughs> now, how did I get there? It's, you know, it's complete insanity and and pure dumb luck. I, I'm in Boston. They're in New York. And I'm bartending to put myself through school at Legal Seafoods. And in walks in a new hostess wearing the David Letterman varsity jacket. You know, not the next day, maybe, you know, a few months down the line. Yeah. And I, you know, I run right up to her and I go, how did you get the jacket? She goes, I just came from New York. I was dating a guy on the show. Can you get me an internship? She goes, I'd love to. He's still in love with me. He'll do anything. (laughs) Dating a guy in the show, they just broke up. And this girl reaches out, Harriet. And, you know, a a minute later, I'm taking a train into New York a couple times a week and interning on the show. Wow. And that's where it starts. Well, you know, there's a lot of great nuggets and lessons here for entrepreneurs listening to this story. You never know where your aha moment. And yours is the most unique one I think I've heard on 200 or 276 <laughs> shows now here at Cars. Yeah. My son's in college. <laughs> I'm going to say to my son, please do not follow in Spike's footsteps in that no. way. <laughs> but here, I mean, if you break it down in a different way, it's you seize a place where there are people like you doing something that you like to do. Yeah. They never considered, and, for, and I'm being completely honest, I didn't even know there were TV writers at the time. We didn't have an internet back then to say, oh, yeah, yeah, you get paid and paid pretty well to do this. I didn't even know people wrote those shows. What I I knew, I was a decently funny guy, and I knew I had just grown up watching a ton of TV, and I kind of knew 
I put those words on a paper so that people could read them and get laughs. Yeah. Or thought I did. Yeah. So, <laughs> sure. Just a hunch. Very cool. Follow your hunch. Follow your hunch. Follow your hunch. And there are no rules. No. <laughs> you've had multiple Emmy nominations. You've been successful. You've got a TV show going. What is the proudest business or career moment you've had that you can share with us? You know, I've I've had a I've had a couple. I mean, the the one that blew my head off was the call from Gail Berman at Fox telling me I was going to be the next Conan O'Brien for Fox. I mean, that I almost crashed my car. I was in my wife's Volkswagen Jetta and it was such a I had just shot the pilot and it was such a pie in the sky. I was just so happy that I just shot the pilot and I told everybody, I don't care what happens after this. At least I got to work in front of an audience behind a desk. And uh, they called me after and they said, you know, this is this is it. You're going to be our Conan. Congratulations. We're picking up 50 shows. And wow. Two, you know, I I did. I was on Little Santa Monica in Beverly Hills and I almost crashed. And then I pulled over to the side and I had to sit there for half an hour and just calm down. Yeah. And I wasn't quite sure the call really happened after they hung up. <laughs> now, two weeks later, Gail Berman quits. Uh. <laughs> No, <laughs> I know it's classic television. I love it. And yeah, you know, everything gets put on hold. And it's not until a year later where I'm in Las Vegas with uh, Peter Ligori, the new president of Fox, where he surprises me and announces to the affiliates in Las Vegas, we're picking up the show. Uh-huh. I didn't know until I was walking on the stage. Wow. He was introducing me, you know, so I've and there are lots of little moments along the way like that that are so exciting, um, yeah. which is why we're in this business and why I always compare it to professional racing. Show business has many highs and many lows. You, you know, you're exactly like a race car driver. There's a, a crowd of people watching you on the track, and you don't know if you're going to crash and burn in turn two <laughs> or you're going to get the checkered flag. Yep. And more often than not, you're not getting the checkered flag. But there's there's just great highs and terrific lows, and you've got to be able to stay, you know, at a five. Yeah. Not a ten, not a zero or one. You stay at a five for all of it. Yeah. Don't believe the hype. Don't believe the failure. Just keep moving forward and believing in yourself. Fantastic. Hey, let's have a little bit of car fun here. What sure. was your first really special vehicle? And if you could share a memory you had with that car. Well, um, let's see. My first really special vehicle wasn't a car. It was a motorcycle. Okay, that's cool. That'll work. It was. I was 12 years old, and my everybody has that cool uncle. I had a cool uncle named Uncle Tim. <laughs> <laughs> uncle Tim. And uncle Tim said, I got a motorcycle, and I want you to have it. And your mom's a nurse, and your dad, he, they're not going to let you have it. So here's no. what I'm going to do. I'm going to let I'm going to tell them I need to store it in your garage and I'm going to uh, tell them that you need to start it uh, at least every week or it's going to go bad. <laughs> and that way you can drive it. Uh, and so <laughs> he sends down a Hodaka Combat Wombat. Ooh. Japanese dirt bike. Yeah. Two stroke motor. Very cool. With very few directions for a 12 year old. <laughs> yeah. And uh you know, I would wheel it down the sidewalk in West Bridgewater, Massachusetts, out to the woods, <laughs> get pulled over by the police half the time and yeah. take it out in the woods and just race around the woods on this motorcycle and just be in heaven. Very and, cool. Um, you know, just in heaven. Again, it's the freedom of, you know, sometimes when I'm riding, I have a 66 Triumph Bonneville right now. I remember I'm a little more of a motorcycle guy than I am a, a car guy. 
but I just don't ride as much because, you know, I don't want to die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's why I uh, took my Envy Agusta F4 and sold it to a guest I had on about a month ago, Butch oh, Dennison. Cool. Yeah, it's sitting in his living room now because it's such a work of art. <laughs> it's They're beautiful to look at, and uh, I do ride maybe once a month up in the hills here and just yeah. chill out. Um, yeah, but, when you have kids, it changes the whole dynamics yes. of, of the importance of you being around. <laughs> you know, I have a good friend as a personal injury attorney, and he can also change your perspective. Yes, so our <laughs> he friend calls us motorcycle people organ donors. Yeah, I have a friend who's a neurosurgeon. My friend Bill, who's a car collector. In fact, he's he bought some uh, Mercedes from JG, who you oh, had yeah. on your show last season. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, he reminded me all the time when I was writing. You know, someday I'm going to be able to take a part of you out and give it to one of my patients. I know it is true, and you know, uh, I'm sure if you're a rider and you're out there listening, like I drove. So I've been riding motorcycles since I was 12, and then hardcore into my 30s. So I feel like I got away with it. I'm yeah. alive. There yep. was a New York year in there, Long Island, Boston, Boston winters Ooh. on a Ninja ZX 600. You oh my know, gosh! I did everything. And I'm here, and I never crashed, so I feel like I made it. And yeah. I don't really need to prove myself past that. <laughs> you made it, buddy. You made it. <laughs> right. Is there a vehicle that you've sold that you really wish you could have back in Mark, your garage? I know, just one. There's probably is, a lot. Yeah, what do you think the answer to that question is? Well, I need to know what it is. What is the car? Everything. Everything. <laughs> everything. <laughs> well, just stop selling then, right? Everything, everything, everything. Okay. You know, I talk with my, you know, we, I love breaking down the rule, the world of cars with my friends who buy and sell and collect and don't buy color, buy mileage. And what is this like? One thing, one commonality I have found is that everybody regrets selling everything. <laughs> <laughs> everybody regrets selling everything. Yeah. If it's something that you bought and that you loved at one point, there's no way to escape that. And I feel like it's a bit of a trap to to really worry about it that much because the cars are going to outlive us yes yeah we're just caretakers we're good we're gonna we have to say goodbye at some point yeah if you're you know my personal feeling is if i'm not using it a lot someone else should be out there using it and driving it so don't hoard and don't keep well here's a twist on that is there a vehicle that you've purchased and soon after said what was i thinking yeah, new stuff. I, I've made mistakes with leases before. Like, there's a there's a there's a car that I had always wanted that I didn't really cotton to. It was a uh, a seventy three nine eleven S silver black former Otis Chandler car oh. that I had been chasing for a while, and it eventually came up, and we snapped it up. And I took it for that first drive, and I hated it. <laughs> really? <laughs> it wasn't, yeah, it needed to be. It needed a lot of sorting. Okay. And, you know, now here at the time, it's a terrible story. At the time, it's all original. So the original silver paint from '73 does wow. not exactly look good. It's got the cracks and the crazing, whatever you you call that. Right. And, you know, to die for preservation right now, but back then I was a perfectionist and wanted everything perfect. Of course. And I had a. Uh, in the hangar, a 73T, a 73RS, a 70S, and a 914.6. So in comes this car. Wow. And I just never quite, you know, I never quite had that moment of, oh, my God, I love it. Yeah. And uh, sold it to Bobby Ray Hall, who I believe owns it right now. Just get <laughs> out of it. Just quickly get out of it and yeah. give it to him. Yeah. I regret it. I want it back. <laughs> I want yeah. It. No, I never liked it. Never had that drive. I want another shot at it. Yeah, I had a 72S, same way. So I understand. Yeah. Is there a current project you're working on right now that really has you excited and fired up? 
Well, Car Matchmaker has me really fired up right now. We're in the middle of shooting season two. We premiere, uh, I think, tomorrow when you're airing this, right? Yep. Uh-huh. And it's it's so much fun driving so many different kinds of cars in the space of a couple of months putting the show together. Yeah. It's so much fun connecting with folks like you and, and the rest of the car world and talking cars. And what I, you know, what what gets me most excited about it is it's not a mechanical car thing, it's a people thing every time. <laughs> like I meet really nice people and no matter where they are in life or celebrity or the heads of companies, all of them will talk to you. Yeah. <laughs> they will all pick up the phone. I call them, they'll take the phone call right in the middle of a meeting and go, let's talk cars. Yeah. If you have this car thing, it doesn't matter who you are. It, it, it There's kind of this commonality and this friendliness that I don't know. I haven't seen anywhere else. I don't see that in show business where people are just nice. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's absolutely true. I wrote a blog about it in my weekly blog. And I hear that from everybody. It's like when my wife and I go to a party, I find the car guy. We go off in the corner or into the garage even better. And that's where we are all night. (laughs) You know, (laughs) I had a date in high school. I wanted to date this gal for so long, but her dad had a Porsche Speedster. And I ended up the whole night. I was supposed to be watching a movie with her in the garage with her dad detailing his car for the show the next day. There you go. Needless to say, I didn't date her again. (laughs) (laughs) Dickie Smothers told me, you know, I own a car that he raced once, this old 68 911L Trans Am factory race car. But when I called him to talk, I don't know Dickie Smothers. We picked up the phone and we started talking for a while. We got around to talking about the Smothers Brothers and uh, they were having trouble with the Smothers Brothers uh, show and CBS was giving him a hard time. And they instead would head out to the parking lot and polish their cars and get out to the racetrack. And, and, and Dickie kept saying, you know, the camaraderie at the racetrack, the acceptance by these car guys, yeah. just immediately, just like you're one of us. Hey, let us teach you how to race. Yeah. You know, not you don't know how to race. Here, yeah. let us show you. Yeah. Let us help you with your car. He said that was so attractive to him. And that was the beginning of Smothers Brothers Racing. Yeah. With just friendly <laughs> folks down at the track. You know, wanting to have fun and being completely accepting of each other. Absolutely true. Now, here's a real introspective question for you. I'm real curious how you're going to answer this. What kind of a car – actually, let me rephrase it. If Spike Fairston was a car, what kind of car would he be and why? And this isn't so much about what you want to be. It's who you really are. Oh, uh, (laughs) jeez. I haven't had enough Scientology classes to know. Oh, I, let's not go down. <laughs> let's not go down that path. <laughs> I really wish I I know would know, but I can tell you the car that I drove that I felt most connected to, and perhaps okay. that's the most that I am. Yeah, it was my my seventy three T, my seventy three nine eleven T, with not a lot of miles on it. I was white with black interior, all original everything, just a perfectly dialed in. Old 911, not the fastest car, not the flashiest color, but a wonderful car to drive that just made me happy. There you go. I <laughs> like love that's, it. you know, that's what I try to be in life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's yeah, a great I answer. That. I love it. I love it. So Spike, up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, 
here's a kind word from our sponsor. No more worries about a dead battery. I've got the NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in your glove box and features rechargeable lithium-ion technology that'll start a dead battery in your car, boat, truck, or RV. It packs a whopping 12-volt, 400-amp starting power and can start up to 20 dead batteries on a single charge. Plus, it has built-in spark-proof technology and a reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart your vehicle every time. It includes a built-in ultra-bright dual LED flashlight and it easily recharges with USB outlet so you can charge your smartphone or tablet while you're on the road. Works on any 12-volt lead-acid battery. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool. It's safe and easy to use. Quality, design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, your battery care source since 1914. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. All right, Spike, we're back and we're up to the last lap. This is where I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some really quick blips of the throttle answers. So are you ready? Yes. What is the best automotive advice you've ever received? Drive it like you hate it. Ah, like you hate it. Like you hate it. (laughs) All right. I like that. Would you share one of your personal habits that you believe has contributed to your success over the years? Persistence. Ah. Persistence and uh, let's see. Yeah, I would just say persistence. It's all about persistence and resourcefulness. Absolutely. Do you have a resource, an automotive resource that you think our listeners would really enjoy? I love Jalopnik. (laughs) I think Jalopnik is doing the greatest job with uh, auto news and just the hobby and just just everything. They're so smart and so funny. And um, they're, you know, to me, they're the gold standard right now. Absolutely. We've had Matt Hardigree on the show as well. Best. Yeah, they do a great job. Love it. Would you share a book that you think the Cars Out listeners would really enjoy reading? There is a book because your listeners will love it. Boys is perfect for you guys. <laughs> There's a book called Howard's Gift Howard's? by Eric Sinaway. Yeah, Howard's Gift, Eric Sinaway. And it's about his professor at Harvard Business, Business School who has a heart attack and he's worried that this guy will die before he can dispense his the wisdom he's learned for entrepreneurs and businessmen in life. Ooh. So he sets out to get to have lunch with him as much as he can to ask him as many questions as he can about business and how to be successful in business and family life. And it was recommended to me by this guy, Steve Sirio. Steve Sirio mm-hmm. runs Aston Martin, New England. Car uh-huh. guy. Yeah. He said, you got to read this book. And I went, yeah, of course. And then I actually read it and I loved it. I mean, there was so much to learn about business and how to be successful, not only in business, but in life. It's, you know, it's the wisdom of this guy, Howard Stevenson, who's uh, the Dean Emeritus at Harvard Business School. So love it. Can't wait to get my hands on that. Yeah, it's great. It's really great. And I don't think he's Dean Emeritus. I, he's uh, just a professor there, but, I, but you know, okay. I read it two years ago. And loved it. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Well, listeners, you can find links to all these great resources Spike has shared with us today at carsyad.com slash Spike Ferriston. Do you have any interesting hobbies outside of your passion for cars? You know, between I, I have the car thing going on and then I have my kids you <laughs> yeah. know, trying to help them through their baseball years. And one's a computer coder. And, cool. you know, that that pretty much keeps me busy right now. But if I didn't have that, I suppose I would play a little more baseball. There you go. Awesome. <laughs> All right, we're nearing the end here, Spike, and this is what I call the checkered flag. And this last question can be a real doozy, especially for a guy like you that likes lots of cars. If Mm -hmm. you could only have one collector car in your garage, 
but don't worry about the cost and don't even worry about who owns it because I'm going to go buy it for you. What would that one vehicle be and why? The one car collection is a conversation I have all the time with my friends. Yeah. And there are many cars that we dub, this is your one car collection. Okay. Yep. But now I'm going to look past my personal collection and the cars that I have to one particular car. Okay. And it would be a Ferrari 250 short wheelbase. Yes. Specifically Bruce Myers 1961. Uh, yes, wheelbase. Bruce has been a guest on this show. <laughs> Silver with a blue stripe. Yes. Like, that car blows my mind. Yeah. You know, that is that that would be I would love to have that car and only that car and use it in the way Bruce uses it. Yes, actually drive it. Have you had a chance to drive one of those yet? I have not. I've never driven one. Well, car of mine. I got I love those cars as well. I was very lucky. I was at the Cavalino Classic and I ran into a friend of a friend who has one. He's had it for a long time. And I went up to him, introduced myself and I said, Is there any chance I could get a ride in this car? And he said, Yeah, I don't give people rides. And I thought, geez, that's kind of a rude answer. And he said, but I let people drive it. And he threw me the keys. And I got wow. to drive that. Yeah, wow is right. And I got to drive that thing. And you're going to enjoy it when you get one. I promise you. How nervous were you driving $12 million? You know, actually, actually, I've driven lots of cars. I've raced cars. I, I don't really get nervous when I get in cars. I don't know what it is. My wife freaks out. Back when I was a kid, I did detailing business, and I brought home a Rolls-Royce Corniche in 1976, and my, my mom just about dr- lost it. <laughs> she was like, you can't drive this home, but I don't worry too much about that. Maybe I try not to think about it, but uh, it was really exciting. And the thing about it that was really cool was this gentleman who owns it drives it like Bruce drives his cars. And we were going down the road, and he said, you know what you need to do? Stand on it, downshift, and just go. And wow. I went, really? And he goes, yeah, just, you know, watch your revs, but just stand on it, man. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, there yeah. it is. That's the kind of friend they have. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Judd, for letting me do that. I share that story with lots of people. Spike, you've taken me on a great ride today. I've really enjoyed your stories. And I want to thank you for sharing your journey with us. Could you give us one parting piece of guidance before you drive off into the sunset in that 250 SWB? Yeah, you know, my personal belief about having these cars, a lot of you folks out there have cars, is uh, always remember to drive them. I want you out there driving them. Don't get precious about them. Uh, Like I like to say to my friends, who are you saving it for? (laughs) You don't want to be that guy on your deathbed going, oh, no. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Yes. I was supposed to be driving and driving this car and enjoying it. Who am I saving it for? Yes. The next guy, don't save it for the next guy. Get out in it this weekend. Put your kids in the car. Go have some fun. Excellent advice. I've always said every car I've sold as it drives away, I've looked at my wife and said, I wish I'd driven that more. Yeah, you yeah, know? that's right. But you're off to the next adventure. Keep looking forward. What's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you and about your show? As you know, I post like mad Yes, on Twitter. Facebook and Instagram, all of it is at Spike Ferriston, at Spike Ferriston. And uh, I, I love to post my weekend adventures in my cars, my friends' cars, and the press cars I get, and uh, also just a lot of the comedy stuff I'm involved in. So Absolutely. And our listeners can also go to Esquire Network and learn more about your show. They can see shows. And uh, again, congratulations on your second season. Can't wait. Thank you. Very, Thank you. very, very cool. Yeah. I just want everybody to watch season two. We're very proud of it. It premieres tomorrow night, 8 o'clock on Esquire Network, available on iTunes, Amazon, Time Warner Cable, DirecTV, everywhere where there's television and content, you'll find it tomorrow night. 
Listeners, again, you can find links to everything that we've talked about today here at CarsYad.com. Just put Spike. He's the only Spike here on Cars Yeah <laughs> in the search box, and his show notes page will pop up. Spike, thanks so much for being generous with your time today and your expertise and for sharing your experiences with me and the listeners. It's been great fun. I knew it would be. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Yeah, that was great. That was really fun. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.